This podcast is a ministry of Crossroads Community Church in Hatfield, Pennsylvania. And now, the message. Well, what a great day. It'd be, it'd be great, wouldn't it, if we were praying and taking the offering? You're thinking, oh man. So, so, but I do want to look at God's Word a little bit. But I, I, I've been thinking, too, a little bit about Father's Day. Um, a friend asked a little boy, um, what, what's Father's Day all about? And the little eight-year-old, he, he answered boldly. He goes, it's simple. Father's Day is just like Mother's Day, except with less gifts. <laughs> yeah, go figure. You know, in... Thinking through Father's Day and the role that fathers play in their kids' lives, I, a story stood out to me. Uh, it was a, a young son at college, and so he, he sent his dad an email on Father's Day seeking to encourage him. And he said, Dad, I just want to tell you that I miss you, and I really want to encourage you, even though you're busy. I know you're very busy, but I want to encourage you to stay in touch. Please stay in touch with me, even if it's only a 10 or a 20. <laughs> Yeah, Uh, I heard another pastor say that um, he once had no children, but he had six theories on raising kids, and now he has six kids and he has no theories (laughs) on raising kids. (sighs) Well, what are we to do with Father's Day? We've, We've honored the fathers, and... Uh, to be honest, it, I mean, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out that fathers today it, were kind of in a precarious position. I mean, uh, th- there was a day back not all that long ago when, when we really did rule the roost. Dave alluded to, you know, dad's coming home from work and plopping himself down and being fed. <laughs> right. Not now. But more than that, it, it, it's not just that we're engaged in more ways, which is a good thing. But... But our culture, as they tried to correct kind of too much men and not enough respect for the women, and now as they correct that, now we're the ones on the short end of the stick. And for the most part, nobody can figure out what a dad is actually supposed to do apart from actually father a child. In fact, you just watch TV. I was reading this one report. Uh, it was uh, J.R. McNamara and uh, male identity in the media. And he said that less than 20% of the media profiles reflected in popular culture were positive of fathers. They're all like the Simpsons, right? They're all like, duh, uh, at best, they're stupid but harmless. And then often, we become actually the problem. It's a tough place to be. So I started trying to figure out how, how bad is that? And because of some other things that were happening this past week, I started to interact with our healthcare system, especially uh, child welfare. And what I found out was that a lot of the forms don't even ask for the father's name. There's not even a place to put it if you wanted to. And in the offices where child welfare, it's all pastel colors and flowers and the women's magazines, the assumption is really clear. They're not expecting a man to even show up. And I found out that sometimes when they'll do welfare checks, and if a man answers the door, the first thing the worker will say is, could I speak to the mother, please? Now, we understand why, because of the abuses and other things. Well, I totally get it. 
I just want to point out that guys can be in a pretty precarious spot today. So we have very little support socially. And it's important that we get a little support biblically for what a father's job really is. What does a father do? We tend to kind of get off on uh, stereotypes. You know, fathers fix. Fathers cut and build and, well, apparently they don't all fix, right? I, I, got, a few, I got a few of those myself, okay? In fact, when I was putting in a, a ceiling fan, you know, and, and, and of course, when do you do it? You do it when you need it, dead of summer. You know, go up in the attic to rewire that thing. It's like 1,000 degrees up there, and I've got blown insulation, so now it's sticking to me. It's just like, ah, ah, ah. and I'm calling through, and I'm downstairs, and I'm measured carefully, and I go upstairs, and I measure carefully, and I find the spot where I'm going to go down in the wall to the switch. I should not see daylight. I should, be, I, should, I should be in the middle of my wall. So then I went, doggone it, now I'm going to have to patch the hole. I go down in my bedroom. There's no hole in my bedroom anywhere. Suddenly, I got a pit in my stomach. So I went into our bathroom, into the shower. Sure enough, there's the hole. It's still there. It helps with ventilation. So, so what exactly is a dad supposed to do? Is it those things? Is that it? So, so then those of you women who are actually better equipped to fix some things than me, you, you, you don't need a father at all. Is that, I mean, you see what happens? If we assign fatherhood to just those things, you could hire a lawn service. You don't need a father. And so we kind of instinctively know, even those things are often true, those are generalities. What is it a father really does? Biblically, what does a father do? What should he do? Now, this morning, we don't have time to do an exhaustive study, but I do, before we jump into it, want to highlight something, which is that when families don't have fathers present, the impact is almost hard to overemphasize. You won't be able to, uh, I'm not sure that you'll be able to see this graphic, so I'll read you just a little bit. 63% of youth suicides are from fatherless homes. That's five times the average. 90% of all homeless and runaway children are from fatherless homes. That's 32 times the average. 85% of all children who show behavioral disorders come from fatherless homes. 20 times the average. 71% of all high school dropouts come from fatherless homes. Now, kids drop out whether they have fathers or not. But that's nine times the national average. And I could go on and on and on. There are the Fatherhood Initiative and fatherhood.org. These are organizations that aren't Christian necessarily, but they've understood that one of the best things you can do in a child's life is get a father involved. Haha, <laughs> I already silenced mine. <laughs> you know, sometimes people say, oh, you should put a little slide up to remind people. That works better. <laughs> right? I mean, there's like, ah. Oh. <laughs> so, yeah, that'll never happen again. <laughs> so, what does a father do? Well, we're going to look at two passages today and we're going to try to make an application. Um, there are notes and you can scribble some things down, but I'm just going to tell you now, I know we're moving quickly. And it's not because it's not deserving of some more study. 
but at least we need to get grounded. So that, as you know, typically you think through, what does God say about fathers? Maybe, maybe look in the Old Testament, and then let's look at the New. And so we're going to start in Deuteronomy chapter 6. This is part of that great command to, the, to Israel, the Shema, right? But the second half of that, in, that, that instruction goes like this. But impress them, meaning God's commands, on your children. Talk to them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road. When you lie down and when you get up, tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your home and on your gates. Now, again, if we want to do more of an exegetical study, we, well, every word in this thing is, is packed, but it says impress them on your children. Verse 1 of this chapter talks about teach your children. And really, those are cinnamon, cinnamons. Yeah. Uh, yeah, synonyms. That's funny. Impress them. I guess the emphasis would be don't just yak at them. Find a way to effectively communicate these things to your children. Impress upon them. It says talk about them, which infers communication. We could talk all day about men and communication. Okay, I, I understand. I'm a talking man, and I still get out-talked. Okay, I get my words. I'm just out of words at the end of the day. Understand that. So save some words for them. It's worth it. It, it doesn't come natural. It doesn't come easy. You have to be intentional. Yeah, I got, I'm leaving this meeting because I'm going to have to talk to my kids for 10 minutes, and I'm almost on empty. So I'm leaving. And save something. It says talk to them. And then notice, it says when you're at home, when you sit at home, and when you walk along the road. All kinds of applications we could make. But the idea is private life and public life. He says when you lie down and get up. This, the idea that it's throughout the entire day, not just for an hour and 15 minutes on Sunday. That they see that in you. Let's tie them as symbols on your hands and your head. Both our actions and our attitudes. Boy, we could, that'll preach all by itself. The door frames of your home and on your gates. Maybe, I mean, both are entryways. One is an entryway to the intimate family. One's, the other is an entryway to the public. Is this public, private? The idea is do it everywhere you go, all the time. And if you're one of those men that says, holy cow, i got to like, talk about God everywhere, then I want to I meet with you later because maybe you don't know the same father I know because he's a joy to communicate. And that's the exhortation. Do this all the time. Of course, all of that is predicated on what came before that, which is... The next one, where he says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Dads, it is hopeless to think about passing these things on to our kids if, if we know as a fact they're really not rattling around in our minds. Now, maybe not perfectly, no, nobody does that perfectly. But if you've got to scramble to think of something God like to say, then good luck trying to communicate it to your kids. 
The idea is consistency. And by the way, if you're not living it, they know. Kids are walking, talking lie detectors. Okay? They, they, and, and you know what? And if, and if you're not lying, they can make you lie. I mean, they just, uh, I mean, right? I mean, so, so knowing the only hope we have is to just be authentic where we're at. Even if where we're at isn't where we need to be, that still has more oomph than pretending something that they know is not true. Right, okay, sure, Dad, yep. What about the Apostle Paul? What kind of a father do you think he would have been? Warm, fuzzy, cuddly guy? <laughs> yeah. We get this idea, like he'd be barking out orders, right? Let me see your checklist. Which is why I thought it was so interesting, and I want to look at this passage in Second. Uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. He's writing to the church, and he's trying to communicate to them how important to him they are. And he, he uses fathers as an illustration. This is what he says in verse 11. He says, For you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children. What's that like, Paul? Encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God who calls you into the, his kingdom and glory. How surprising that Paul says that a father deals with his children, his child, his children, by encouraging, comforting, and urging. That's kind of the same word of impressing. Urging them to live lives that are worthy of God. Now, if you like to take notes and you feel like if you don't leave church with a little list... You've been cheated, so I'm going to give you a few. If we back up a little bit, in verses 7 and 8, we find out that fathers, when they're interacting with their kids, one of the th things that is true of them is that they're able to express love. Verse 7, he says, Just as a nursing mother cares for her children, so we cared for you because we loved you so much. Now, we're fortunate with all the changes. It's, it's more and more okay for dads to say, I love you. It's okay for us to cry. It's okay for us to show emotion. But the key here is that fathers need to figure out how to express love, whatever that takes for you. None of this, hey, I, you know, I, I, told you, I told them that I love them on their birthday. If it changes, I'll let them know. You know but expressing it, they express love. Another thing that's true in this passage of fathers, Paul says, is that they live a transparent life. Using himself as an example, he says in verse 8, We were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our own lives as well. And so perhaps fathers could be encouraged to make sure that we actually show what's going on in our lives. That's a problem if what's going on isn't good. And yet... That ought to prompt us to correct those things so that we can say, this is where I'm at. I remember when our kids were young, I tried really hard to be the very best dad that I could. I can tell you that honestly. But looking back, I'm not sure that I was trying so hard that I was kind of skipping over some of my pretty clear faults. I'm not sure that they didn't get the impression that I was faking something. And, and the irony is, I wasn't trying to fake it, but I was trying so hard to do right that I just tried to ignore anything that wasn't m mattering. 
if I could go back, one of the things I would do different is I'd just be more transparent. I don't have this together. I really don't. He says in verse 9, he says, We worked night and day in order not to be a burden to you. Boy, dads, most of us can relate to that. And so fathers just naturally kind of model what unselfish sacrifice looks like. That's a good thing. It doesn't replace the other things, but it's a good thing. Verse 10, For you are my witnesses, he says, and so is God, how, of how holy and righteous and blameless we were among you who believed. Boy, most of us dads wish we could say that, but the idea is here that it's authentic spirituality. We're just calling it like it is. If you're not there, say it. I'm not there, but I aspire to better, and I want you to aspire to better. I guess we both are going to work on this. And lastly, in verse 12, he says that fathers make a lasting impact, a lasting influence on their kids. That's when he says, urging you to live lives worthy of God. Live a life that really matters, that makes a difference. That was the hardest thing about Josh's funeral, is to listen to stories from friends of a young man who... Uh, full of energy, always into something, and, but was coming into his own relationship with God. His friends were hearing about his walk with Christ. When nobody else was around, he was living it on his own. And I just thought, I wish I could have known it. That's what we want for our kids. Okay, fathers, got it? So there's your little list. Take that home, do that. Call me in the morning. <laughs> but that's the problem, right? You say, really? Because I'm struggling with one of those, and there's five or six of those, and there was two passages, and I'm stuck. Oh, help. So, okay, um, maybe we can boil it down a little bit more. Because I know what it's like to sit there as a father and to struggle saying, I can't even begin to count the areas where I've screwed this up. So, what if we were to boil it down a little bit so I set aside some of these passages this week, and I, I just started thinking, what's, what, what, when you boil it all down, what does it come down to? And I stumbled upon, by God's providence, uh, some, of, some of you guys have read Wild at Heart uh, and other books by John Eldridge, which you may not know, you wrote a little tiny pamphlet about fathering. And in that little, in that little book, he makes a point that I thought maybe is worth us remembering today. John Eldridge, in that little book, he makes the point that actually when you boil it all down, fathers, the only thing you have to do is answer one question for each of your kids. Just answer one question. I'm thinking, okay, I, there's, there's hope in this. I can do this. Now, the question is different for boys than girls, but it's really just one question per kid. It's the question they're asking, and it's the only question you really are supposed to, you need to fulfill to, as being a father is to answer that question. It is kind of funny to think about how boys and girls are different, right? Very different. Uh, you know, you don't, have to, uh, you don't have to teach a boy sound effects. It's just like, right? It just comes out. I remember my sister when she had her son. And my sister's, you know, she, she's, a, she's a full partner in a large law firm. She's v v very, uh, she's a fine believer. 
and, 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 but, but she wasn't going to be sucked into like boys and girls or little stereotypes. She, it was going to be okay with her if her boy wanted to play with dolls or, or cars or if he wanted to garden. I mean, any of that was fine. And she said she realized that maybe she was missing something when I think Kyle was, I don't, I don't even remember, he picked up something that was long and just made it into a gun. They'd never, he'd never seen a gun. He'd never and, yet, and she just thought, it is really wired in, isn't it? You know, boys, um, if, if you watch the way they play, if you watch what they do when they get to do anything they want, it's always about who goes the fastest, who can go the farthest. I mean, I loved riding bikes as a kid, and, and we rode bikes, and then we see who could go fastest. And then after that was done, uh, well, let's see who can go the farthest. And then after that was done, it was like, well, let's see who can... Uh, so we built a ramp. And, and then it was like, so let's see who could go the highest. And it was like death-defying. But it was, they're always driven by the mostest, the bestest, the fastest. I grew up in Fort Lauderdale. I had a nice little home. We had a beautiful in-ground pool. What's wrong with just swimming in the pool? Nothing, unless you're a boy. So you swim in a pool, it gets boring. And I said, you know what would, you know what would spice this up? I had scuba tanks. I love scuba diving. So I said, let's take the scuba tank in the pool. So then we're scuba diving around under there. And, of course, one guy can wear the scuba tank, and the other guy comes up and, and takes it from him, and, and you play. And that was fun for a little bit. And then that got boring. So then I thought, you know, there are one, two, three, four, five. We had seven weird concrete statues around our pool. If we put those in a pool, it'd be like the lost city of Atlantis. That would be cool. <laughs> Boom. So before you know it, all those statues are all kind of piled in my pool. Now we're scuba, got, scuba diving through Atlantis. That was cool. Under there like this. And then we could see who could drown the other one. And then, you know, what we need is a shipwreck. So I got my 10-foot John boat, and we sunk that next to the thing. So now the boat and the statues are in the pool, and that was a blast for about 15 minutes. So then my, my buddy had, it was his turn with the scuba tank, and he's under there, and he's under there, and he's, I'm thinking, I should do something to him. What could I do to him that he doesn't know is coming? The roof. So I got up on the roof, and I cannonballed off the roof. Now, uh, to be fair, the first time we jumped, no one had actually done that before. We weren't sure you could, because there was like this much space between the pool and the roof. I was pretty sure with a running jump, I would make it into the pool. But we weren't sure until I did it. I did it. And that's hard to, by the way, it's hard to get a running start when the roof is like this. So, you, so it's, it's tricky. I will not demonstrate I'd hurt myself. But anyway, so I ran, and I did this cannonball. It did occur to me while I was in the air that, wait, there are concrete statues in the pool. How hard can it hurt? I mean, how bad can it hurt? It's not a big thing. And he's like, whoa, what was that? And so, ah, and he goes, you put on the scuba tank. I'm going I'm to cannonball you. So then, now we're jumping off the roof into the pool full of uh, boats and statues. And, and I got boring. And I thought, you know what? Let's get that big piece of plastic. Maybe we can make a parachute and jump into the pool. That almost killed us because, of course, you can't jump as far. And uh, it didn't work so well. Let's put the plastic on the water. That would be cool. It's like concrete. Ah. <laughs> We almost ended the thing. And finally, I thought, okay, wait, wait. What if you wrap me in the plastic and then I jump in the pool? 
and my friend, he's a good friend, so he says, okay. <laughs> so, so now I'm wrapped in plastic, and then it dawned on me, wait, how am I going to get a running start when I'm wrapped in plastic? You can't do this. And my biggest worry was that I was going to land flat. That would hurt. So I said, go get that chain out of my shed. And so we put chain around my feet so that my feet would go in first. So chain and plastic. And, and my buddy Chris, he's like, I'm good with this. Yeah, it's fine. You know, we, we've, we've done this kind of stuff before. This is how we rolled, okay? So then I realized I got to the edge and I said, I can't make the pool without you helping me. So I'm going to jump up in the air on three. When I'm in the air, then you shove me as hard as you can, hoping that I make it into the pool. So Chris says, okay. One, two, three. And Chris shoves me as hard as I can. Now, when you're a boy, you can stop time. And so as I'm in the air, and everything's going slow, right? And Chris pushes me, and the first thing I see is him going. And I realize he's going to come in right on top of me. That should be cool. <laughs> and as I started, I, I, it worked perfectly. I kind of leveled out. I'm going in straight. And as I was going into the water, I saw my dad home from work early. <laughs> Statues, boat, scuba tank, plastic in a chain. Chris just threw you off the roof. <laughs> it's just the way boys are, right? <laughs> okay, not all boys. I realize that. I had a death wish. But why is it that boys are constantly pushing that limit? Who's fastest? Who's furthest? Who's toughest? Who? Wh why? Why? John would suggest that actually... It's because they have one burning question. Boys have one burning question. And that question they ask of their dads. Now, there's a lot of science that we could talk about today. Moms are important. Moms are so important. But moms play very distinct roles in kids' lives. They are caregivers, and they are comforters, and, and they're safe. It's unconditional love. Now, every dad wants to display unconditional love. But the truth of the matter is, the things that fathers bring... That's not the most important part. Fathers bring other things to the mix when it comes to parenting. And one of those is that it's generally the fathers who help the kids with their own uh, gender identity. Figuring out who they are. They're asking their dad a question. And the boys are asking their dad this question. I don't remember if I even made... There you go. One important question. Do I have what it takes? That's what a boy wants to know from his dad. Do I have what it takes? You know what I love about that question? Is that it doesn't necessitate biggest, strongest, fastest, smartest. You see, a person can have what it takes and be small or large, fast or slow, because God's gifted us all with a unique blend of gifts. And we all know that every guy we know is different, good at some things, bad at others. If you're not sure how that works, you should come camping with us next, next time and watch who knows how to do some things and who doesn't. Or you can go on the mic hike with, with us, right, Jeff? Yeah. yeah, yeah, that went well. Every boy is asking, do I have what it takes? And they're pushing and they're testing to find out, do I have 
what it takes. Girls are very different. See, when you leave boys alone, what, do you, what are they going to wear? If anything. <laughs> Camo or, 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 or the uniform of like a policeman or the, or the, or the athlete or the, like, the, like you leave girls alone and what do they do? You leave boys alone and it's a war, it's a battle. What are the, what are the stories boys love? Battle, adventure, danger. I remember distinctly growing up that if whatever we were going to do, if there wasn't a fairly good chance somebody could be maimed or killed, it was boring. That's just the way I was wired. It's amazing I'm standing here today. I didn't even start to tell you about when I got a hang glider. That's another whole series of stories. See, you leave boys alone together, and suddenly they're going to be dirty, and there's going to be some kind of a battle or some kind of a rescue, some kind of a danger scenario. They're going to be making noises. You leave girls alone to play, and instead they're brushing each other's hair. They're, they're interacting, talking. Now, don't get me, please, I'm not trying to be stereotypical. My, I had a sister, younger sister. She pretty much tracked with us. Okay, she kept up with us just fine. There are girls that are tomboys and they're more active. I, I'm not, that's not what I'm saying. Just like I loved, I love to cook and I love art and I love music and those things. That didn't take away from this. But you see, girls typically, when they come up with games, the games don't involve bloodshed. <laughs> you know, their games have different names like wedding day, prom night, right? Um, dress up, play, play house. I remember my sister, I'm like, huh? Like, what? You mean burning house? Yeah, no, no, let's play house. What? You know, zombie apocalypse house, but not. See, they play house or they play movie star or they play recording artist and they talk and 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 talk. Why? Because they're asking a different question, and it's relational in nature. The question that girls are asking their dad is, am I lovely? Am I lovely? Lovely enough to be pursued? Lovely enough to be worth it? Lovely enough to hang, be with? See, boys and girls are asking two different questions. All a dad has to do is understand that that's what's going on and answer that question. Do I have what it takes? Am I lovely? And so one of the things we want to say this morning is now that you know, dad, that that's really the only job you have, we want to encourage you. You got this. You got this. See, dads, there's actually a reason why we are the way we are. In our culture that keeps trying to sort of feminize us. Don't get me wrong, I'm not, I am not talking about abuses of our strength or power. I, I don't even, that's not what we're, the fact of the matter is we are different. And we bring different things to the mix. And we need to be reminded of that and encourage each other to do what we alone can do. Only we can communicate this to our daughters. 
Only we can communicate this to our sons. You, see, you saw the look right on the face, like mom's going to always be there, which means she's never going to tell me the truth. They're looking to us. I mean, that's not true. Of course mom will. But, they, but see, we play this role. In fact, in psychology today, I was reading, and, and, and again, not a Christian study, and they said just one of the things that they've been looking at about the difference between kids that are raised with their dad there versus not, one of the things was play. Now, this is a funny thing in our house because in our house, it, when all, it's all, still to this day, it was true of our children, it's true of our dog now. Like, everyone is docile till I get home. And then they go nuts. <laughs> right? And, and, and Cindy would laugh. She goes, oh, my gosh, it's like you're the play god, you know. And, and that was kind of okay with me. That was okay with me. You know what they found out? Play is important in kids' development. The kids who played with their dad, they gained the ability to control emotions in competitive situations. They could stay focused. They learned how to work as a team. They learned, they learned how to assess another's strength and adjust. And, and the list went on and on and on. And that was just play. Just play. We tend to think that if we're playing with our kids, it's because we're trying to get out of some other, something else on the honeydew list. But isn't it interesting that it sort of comes natural to most of us, doesn't it, Dad? And it's actually what they need. They've got a mother, but they need a dad. One thing we've got to talk about before we go. This is all great. You want to, you want to let your son know that you got what it takes. You can do this. You want, to tell, you want your daughter to know you are lovely. You are so worth it. But, but I wonder if, if we can be expected to give something that we may never have received. You see, our fathers were supposed to communicate this to us. So what is a guy to do when his father injured instead of helped? Or, or what, if, what if he didn't injure, he just didn't do that great of a job? I grew up knowing my dad loved me. My mom told me that all the time. I think I was married before I ever heard him say it himself. He was a great guy. Wait a minute. What if our father wasn't there at all? How are we supposed to give something that we never got? If only we had a father that we could look to. If only we had a father that could still model for us what it looks like to answer this question. You see, if we as dads knew that we still had a father to go to, then we would have confidence that we can do this for our kids. And the message of the entire morning has been just that. We do. Psalm 68. Sing to the Lord. Sing in praise of his name. Extol him who rides on the clouds. Which sounds like a lot of fun, by the way. I'm going I'm to do that when I get there. Rejoice before him. His name is the Lord, a father to the fatherless, a defender of widows, is God in his holy dwelling. God sets the lonely in families. 
He leads out the prisoners with singing. Honestly, maybe we should start celebrating our dysfunctional families. Because it is the, the failures that our dads made that drives us now to the dad that won't make failures, won't make mistakes. Fathers, none of us have it right. We have made mistakes, some of which we can't get back, others of which we hope. But wait, one of the messages we're sending to our kids is, we're still a work in progress. So are they. It's okay. And the message we want to send is, I have a father who believes in me. Fathers, let your heavenly father impact the way you father. Let him speak into you as you speak into them. And guess what? He doesn't have a hang-up with the fact that you're a failure. He's been waiting for you to figure that out. He is so okay with that. You want to be a chip off the perfect block. And we're not even afraid of failure. We can look our kids right in the eyes and go, I blew it. My dad actually knew I was going to. He knew it. He's got a plan to even deal with it. But he loves me anyway, and I love you anyway. Be a chip off the old block. Father, like your father fathers you. You got this. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, throughout your teaching, you kept telling us about the Father. Show us the Father. So we look to you. You said that everything you say and do, you, you only do and only say what you've seen the Father say and do. And so when we look at you, we see the Father. Lord Jesus, we love you and we worship you. Would you enable us? Would you enable us as fathers to be fathered by you so that we can love our kids? Help our boys know they've got what it takes. Help our girls know, oh, honey, you are more than lovely enough. Because you're a good, good father. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. Intro music by bensound.com. Visit us online at crossroads-cc.org.